Welcome to the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan, and this podcast is all about helping men to become unstuck in their lives and inspire and encourage them to move forward towards a life of strength, confidence, and inner fulfillment. So without further ado, here is today's episode. I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to episode number 36 of the Modern Warrior podcast. Today I am absolutely psyched to have Ben Goreski with me. Ben is the founder of the Evolving Man movement. He's also partnered with the Samurai Brotherhood. And Ben's background is in addiction counseling. He holds a degree in addiction counseling. So he is a man of of many skills and attributes. And I'm looking forward to this conversation with him. He's a counselor, a coach. He also has his own podcast called the Evolving Man Podcast. I certainly recommend you check it out. I have done so myself and it's been massively insightful and informative for me as well i've learned loads through it so i can't wait to learn more about ben and his journey and his work in today's episode so ben how are you doing my man thanks gavin i'm doing great um yeah thanks for having me on your show i'm excited to uh to connect with your listeners and with your your fans over on the other side of the world i think and i'm sure you have you know people watching you worldwide but uh i noticed that like people's followers tend to localize around them in a geographical location for whatever reason. Uh, I have a lot of sort of Canadian North American listeners, so uh, I'm stoked to, to get to know you on this call and, and to share a bit with your listeners. Excellent. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome to the, uh, welcome to Ireland and, and the Irish. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Ireland and UK are, are, are mostly uh, uh, most of my demographic. So, mm-hmm. uh, so absolutely buzzing to have you here. So, I guess to begin with, if you could give us a bit of an insight as to how you came to be uh, a counselor, uh, a coach, a podcast, and what brought you to this point you're at right now in your life. Because I know there is, uh, from listening to a podcast, I know there's quite a, a journey behind uh, behind you. And uh, just to get into a bit more detail on that in, ter- in terms of yeah. what, it, what it involved. Yeah. So, um, I've heard it said a a number of times from, from different teachers, um, that I've met that your wound is your gift. And when you dig into, you know, what a person's greatest gift, their, their mission in the world, the thing that they're here to bring forth as an adult, it's often related to their biggest wound when they were younger. And that is true for me. Um, I, I grew up in, I, I was, generally taking care of in my home. I, I grew up in like a middle-class family and, and from the outside, everything looked great. And, but inside we had lots of problems and, um, you know, my dad was a successful doctor and in general, my mother was great, but my mother was also a, a very suffer- she was suffering from trauma. You know, she was a very traumatized woman was, was hurt very badly by her family and uh, emotionally sort of cut off. And so myself and my brother being this, like these emotional kids in a very sort of emotionally cut off home, 
were just like scrambling for connection and didn't know how to get it. We're never taught how to get it. And, and uh, so essentially him and I both caused a lot of problems <laughs> in school, in our home. My brother ended up in jail and group homes and we both ended up in rehab at the same time. I was 16. He was 19. And uh, that was sort of our turning point. Um, I finished rehab. He didn't. Um, we sort of basically we went, went our separate ways after that. We saw each other a couple times and then we had a fist fight. Uh, when I was 21 and I didn't talk to him for 15 years. And um, that, but that was my turning point. I, I, I sort of had a spiritual awakening in rehab and realized that I was like, that I had no idea what I was doing with my life. I was super lost, lonely, hurting. I contacted my, my pain. I felt some of that. I was sort of held in a good way there and um, changed, changed the course of my life over the, over about 13 months being in rehab is a long time. <laughs> and then finished that, you know, finished high school, went and worked as a counselor at that treatment center, like a peer counselor, they call it. So you don't have any education, but you're just there to share your experience. I learned that I really liked that. I really liked being a part of uh, other younger guys' journeys and, and helping them on their way and trying to help them heal, you know? And so um, at one point I made a choice between like becoming a, a petroleum engineer, like doing something with my mind because I, I kind of have an engineer's mind or become an addictions counselor. And I just, I knew I wasn't going to make as much money doing an addictions counseling job, but that's where my heart was pulling me. And I just trusted that. Um, and uh, so I went, did a degree, I got a degree in addictions counseling, and I worked at a number of different treatment centers. And I've, I've gained a lot of sort of life experience in the personal growth realm. I've tried a lot of things. And um, now I work for myself. I have my own podcast. I have my own coaching and counseling practice. It's, it's really emerging of coaching and counseling. I have a men's program. I do men's work. I guide men's groups. Um, so I, I, I know you're part of the, the, the men's work movement, Gavin. And um, Man, that's that, and that's been my latest thing, and it's it's amazing. I just love men's work. I love what happens in circle with men, and I I really feel like one of my life's missions now, other than trying to help people heal addiction and recover from it, is trying to get as many men as possible to learn men's work and do men's work because it's um, it changes guys' lives. So uh, I'm we're about this. You and I are about the same age. And we have very similar missions here. We're just carrying the message. And for me, it originated in that wound of, of being like sort of lost, disconnected, not knowing who I was in the world. And, and, you know, in a sense, kind of lucky that I made it through. I'm lucky I got out because I've been to a lot of funerals since then, of guys who didn't. And, you know, carrying the messages that I've learned through that wound, through healing that wound to other people and trying to help them on their way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Incredible, man. So just to rewind the clock a little bit and go back to when you first went to, uh, went to rehab, uh, how did that come about? Were you, were you yourself addicted to something or, or things? Yeah, I, I think I was not as far down the hole as some of my compatriots in treatment. I was sitting in treatment with, with, with crackheads and heroin addicts and people who'd been using for, for 10 years, some of them, you know, even though they're like 19, uh, people who were more traumatized than I, let's say, uh, in some ways, but yeah, I, I was very angry, very lost. Uh, I was 
when people ask me what I was addicted to, the primary thing is escape. Like I really wanted to just escape my life. I wanted to escape my body. I wanted to dissociate. And, you know, looking back, the tools I had actually really sucked. Like I was smoking a lot of cannabis, but cannabis actually closes you closes in your consciousness into your body. And you, you sort of get self-conscious and really overly judgmental of yourself. Not everybody, but, but I think most people will relate to that. And here I was like a pretty ashamed guy, teenager that didn't really like myself uh, and felt angry at the world. And then I'd smoke pot and then all of that stuff would just get worse. And I would hate myself more. And, and I would ruminate about, uh, you know, my brutal life. And uh, so, you know, that just caused more pain. I drank alcohol as much as I could get my hands on it. And those things were the, for the most part, what was dominating my life. And I'm actually lucky I didn't have as easier access to as many things. And then I got chucked into rehab when I did, because I was pretty much throwing caution to the wind and just doing whatever, um, was in front of me. And, um, I was uncalibrated. Like, I know that I would have just like, you know, overdosed or, uh, done something really stupid if, uh, I had stayed out there much longer. So what was, what I was addicted to was escape and, and why I was addicted is because I was in deep pain, you know, and that's, that's the thing that came clear when I was in treatment and we were all, we basically did therapy all day long with these other kids in treatment. And we all had different using stories and using experiences, but the pain, once we contacted the pain, everybody would start crying because we all sort of knew the pain. And so it became clear that like, there's this thing underneath our use and that the using the drugs, the alcohol, whatever it is, even if it's like, you know, uh, addictive masturbation or sex or gambling, the thing that's under there is like generally the same between everyone. And that, that the use is symptomatic. It's just a symptom. It's pointing at the pain. And we tend to like we tend to go after the symptom in society. We lock people up for the symptom, you know, like for possessing drugs, but the, what we need to do is treat the pain. And, um, that's how you, that's how you help people heal. Yeah, that's exactly it, man. I mean, the, the drugs or the alcohol or the porn or the gambling is not the problem. It's the problem behind the problem. That's the problem. And it's to go there towards the pain, obviously. And, uh, I I've, I've been on my own journey of of uh, addictions and impulses and uh quite quite an aggressive drinker in terms of when i went drinking i went drinking and there would be no stop button uh when i went drinking um self-sabotage is what i would call our self-destruction uh porn was something i was uh very addicted to for a number of years and never really understood it but I've, I've been through my counselors and psychologists and all that too. But I remember uh, one meeting, perhaps one of the first meetings I had with a counselor, and I remember asking me, well, how do you know you're addicted to porn? And I couldn't answer that at the time. So in your own words, how would you define an addiction? Like if there's, there's someone listening to this today, and it could be something like, and I work with a lot of teenagers, young men as well, who are addicted to video gaming, which is uh, mm -hmm. something that's uh, pretty new, I think. And 
they can't see the addiction. Um, they spend all day, eight hours, 10 hours a day playing video games. I know they're addicted to it, but they can't see it. But mm-hmm. what? how would you define an addiction in terms of switching on that light bulb from them, for them in terms of uh, becoming aware of their behaviors and that it is an actual addiction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the main thing that defines an addiction is is that there's fairly persistent negative consequences as a result of of the thing and consequences and negative are really up to you as a person you know and what you are willing to tolerate in your life you know and so people can get into denial about the consequences like Oh, you know, like I missed this appointment because I was playing video games or I, I missed work because I was hung over. Um, you can say like, whatever, it's not a big deal. I don't like that job anyways, or, or I, or I didn't want to go to this appointment anyways. And a person can do that for their whole life until, until their life is totally in the shitter and they're, they're 45 and they've never done anything with their lives you know, and there, and they had all these hopes and things that they wanted to do and they didn't do anything because they just decided, nah, I'll do it later, you know? And so it's a slippery slope. Addictions are very tricky, slippery slope. And, um, what I like to do is just ask guys, like, what do you, what do you really want to do with your life? Like if in biggest picture, like who are your idols? Who do you, who do you look up to the most? Like not gangsters, uh, or like dudes in movies who are, um, you know, cool. I mean, who do you really look up to? Like, who do you think is a King in the world and what has he done and what is it going to take for you to, to get there? You know, uh, dedication, you know, discipline, um, sacrifice. And are you on that path right now? Or are you not on that path? And, what do you need to do to get on that path? And a lot of guys, unless they're super deep in denial, they know, they know the things in their life that are holding them back. You know, I think if you want, if, if your like major goal for the decade is to have great abs and to be able to show them to people and you're getting up in the middle of the night and you're eating a cup of milk and or drinking a cup of milk and eating a donut at midnight, you know, and we're having that conversation. Like there's a big party that knows that that cup of milk and the donut in the middle of the night is really affecting your goals. And, you know, so just having that conversation and bringing that awareness and, you know, a guy asked me like, what, what about what happens once you're aware? And the truth is it's, it's actually good to just hang out in that awareness for a while. Notice, just keep noticing it. You know, some people are like, well, do, let's take action right away. Uh, especially addicts, they're impulsive. <laughs> are you, you know, people who are addicted are used to being like, I have a feeling I'm going to fix it somehow. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but there's actually a really good strategy where you just pay attention over and over again to you doing the thing that you're not happy with and get more and more quote bored with it, like get and almost angry with it to the point where like, you just can't wait to interrupt this pattern. And then you gather your resources, you gather your support and you make the jump because there's always a jump, you know, like you got to quit. You can taper 
whatever it is that you're doing. But like, if you want to treat and deal with the thing, that's the problem that's showing the symptom that's showing up in your life. You, you do need to take the symptom out. You know, we're talking about how like the symptom is just the symptom and you need to deal with the pain and people are like, well, what, how, maybe I could deal with the pain and then still have my eight hours of video games a day. No, it doesn't actually work that way. I'm sorry, but you actually need to take that thing away and that will actually create space for your pain to come to show up. And then you face the pain. And if you, you know, you do that with the right people, with the counselor, therapist, the support group or whatever. Um, and, and you get some time away from that thing, your drug of choice, your process of choice. That's where the, the change can happen, but you got to remove the, the, the umbilical cord or whatever, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. There's a, there's a number of things coming to my mind as you speak about that. First of all is sitting with the awareness or just being with the awareness. And I think that could be the most overwhelming part of the process. Uh, and, uh, something I've, I've said several times. And, and again, somewhere I've been myself is if you're not able to, you know, sit, sit alone in a room in silence, distra distraction free for several minutes without becoming, you know, completely agitated or upset or feel a craving to distract yourself with something, uh, you've got to ask yourself some serious questions and I think now more than ever, it's become a lot more difficult to find that space for yourself because of the distractions that are at our hands every single second of the day. You've got your, got your mobile phone on you. It's, it's almost part of your body and it doesn't allow you. Well, you're not allowing yourself to, to sit with the, with the awareness as you call it. And, and it's often something I would encourage my, my men to do as well. Uh, and I said, look, if it's too difficult to sit with it, then move with it, you know, leave the phone behind at home, leave the distractions at home and just go for a walk, you know, move with it. Um, what's your theory or what's your thoughts behind that part of the process? Yeah. Um, I, you know, the, in, in that pain is like a deep, not okayness. Right. And so you're always trying to fill that that void. Um, and it never really feels full, uh, when you constantly avoid it. Um, humans are funny that way. It's like, we find a really temporary solution to something and we just slap that thing on there. And then we just use it over and over again. Like, like, it's like trying to slap band-aids on like a giant gaping wound that needs surgery, <laughs> needs stitches. And you're just like throwing band-aids on there or painkiller, right. More realistically, numbing agent. And, uh, you know, part of the treatment, um, like I mentioned earlier, is like you take away the stuff and then you learn to face yourself. You have to face yourself. You have to face your pain. You have to face what comes up in the silence, what comes up in when you're totally alone, you know? And I, I one time worked at a, a treatment camp where we had 90 days with these guys. They would, they would come into to treatment, they were 18 to 25 years old. So they were young men. They would come and we would have 90 days to work with them in this camp. And, and we would take them out into the wilderness and we would do these trips with them. And uh, it was great. Cause we were like, it's like, you're dealing with the animal brain. Once you get a guy out in the wilderness, it's like his default switch on more, you know? And so we would set intentions for how he wanted to be when we were in camp. 
And then we'll go out on the journey and see how that shows up in his life and then come back debrief. Okay. What happened? What came up for you? How did you behave when you got cold and tired and hungry? And, you know, um, but it's one of the things that we would do with guys is, that, you know, they would come in and we'd say like, what's your worst fear? And they'd, be, they'd say like being alone and having, not, having nothing to do. Sometimes guys would, guys would say that it's like, sounds like torture to me. And we would sort of guide them towards a goal, like a finale on the, towards the end of their 90 days of spending 48 hours or 72 hours out in the woods by themselves doing nothing, not allowed to move either. Like we draw a circle around the guy and we basically say like, you can't leave this area. And they were willing to do that. Like they, they, by the time they got to the 90 day mark, they wanted that challenge because we had sent them out for one hour and, and we had framed it for them. Like, listen, if you can't be alone, like you're never going to be a King, you know, you know, if you want to be a father, if you want to be a leader in this world, if you want to really do something in this world, you got to be really solid in yourself. And if you can't be alone, you're not solid and you need to, you need to become solid and nobody's going to hand that to you. you it's, it doesn't just get given to you. You can't go to uh, school and get a certificate that, that says that, you know, like you you got to fucking create it for yourself, man. And so, yeah, we would take guys out there and we do this, like the solo thing. And sometimes one guy, one guy, uh, was also like, you know, really loved food. And he chose to do his solo in a cave in the dark with a candle and a, like couple of like a wonder bar and a, a Snickers across from him. And he fasted the whole time. And he was just like, I want that temptation there so that I know uh, that, you know, that's what I'm fighting. And, and cause I, I want to add that to the mix and he did it and he did, it was life-changing for him. So, um, yeah, I think the message is like for every guy who is impacted by this part of the conversation, like you got to go create solo time for yourself. And one thing I did for a while was on my birthday, instead of like staying in town and having a big party and all this stuff, I would go out into the wilderness and spend a couple of days out there by myself, just in silence and go on, go on a hike up to a mountain lake or something and, and just be up there and be grateful for my life and just be in my own mind and my own space. And, and, uh, you know, that's a great practice as well that somebody could try. Yeah. That sounds amazing. That's, uh, you, you leave something behind or you leave several things behind on that mountain, don't you? And, uh, yeah. I'd, I'd be a big advocate for hiking in general. I haven't done the overnight thing yet, but, uh, that's certainly something I would, uh, I'm going to be adding in, uh, some of that overnight stay and, and just, as you say, climbing up a mountain and, uh, leaving some baggage up there and uh yeah. yeah so then moving forward towards um you know towards progression and something i would have done and I, I see this a lot with guys who are perhaps struggling with some pain or trauma or difficulties difficulties from the past that okay maybe they move past uh an addiction of alcohol or something that was perhaps destroying their lives to a certain to a certain aspect um the gambling or drinking whatever it is so or porn but then they channel the pain into something that they feel is a lot more beneficial and this is what i would call the goggins effect um <laughs> I, I like david goggins but 
um, there's a lot that what he does, I would um, there any question in terms of he's super intense guy, man. He's like intense. all the way. Yeah, and I've, <laughs> met, I've met him. I've met him, and uh, yeah, he, he's a really cool guy. But uh, I certainly do question some of his uh, methodology and his practices because for me, and I think a lot of guys, this is what I'm kind of going back to. A lot of guys are dealing with pain, dealing with trauma, dealing with struggles. And they're channeling that pain into working out, into training, into going to the gym, into doing crazy intense exercises on a regular basis. And I've been there myself, uh, you know, as I was moving past the porn addiction and the drinking, I started training more intensely than I have ever done in my life. I started CrossFit, then I went on to um, powerlifting. I was in great shape. I actually went on to win a couple of powerlifting championships. So in hindsight, it was 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 a great period where I actually achieved a lot, but the pain was still there. I hadn't dealt with the pain. So where do you sit with that in terms of channeling your pain into something productive? That's uh, a term that's often thrown about there as well. Yeah, I think I'm with you in general. You know, um, we need to learn to redirect our energy. You know, I'm a guy that has a lot of energy and I had no idea how to use it when I was younger. And my whole life's journey has really just been about learning how to use my energy in a good way and to a place where I can sort of come to a really nice, well-rounded balance in my life. It was very imbalanced in my teen years. And in my twenties, I was, I struggled with balance there too. Um, I did a lot of working out too. I, I never competed, but at one point when I was 20, I was bench pressing three, I could bench press 305 pounds. I did that once with a buddy. He, he spotted me. I did two, uh, reps and I was 150 pounds. I was under 150 pounds. So I was like, I was blown out, you know, twice my body weight. Um, and after I did that, I was like, I'm not doing that again. I'm going to, I'm going to destroy something. So yeah, I got extreme into, uh, into, into pushing weights around And I, I loved how that made me feel, you know? And, uh, I think a lot of young guys, um, you know, when we're, when our energy is turned in a self-destructive way, um, that is what's called the, uh, the masochist archetype. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to bring the archetypes into this conversation now because it's, it, I find it really useful to understand that like, um, what's that movie inside out where like, it shows these little, yeah. like the characters, like there's joy and there's anger. And this is sort of like that, but it's a little more, um, uh, mythic, uh, a little more complex, but basically like, I want every man to understand that inside his psyche, uh, in his depths, he has a warrior. He also has a, a King. He has a magician and he has a lover. And those, those four characters are playing different parts in his life at different times. And some guys have a better relationship with, with some than others. You know, the warrior gets a lot of airtime in Western society. Um, the brotherhood that I'm a part of is called the Samurai Brotherhood. It's based on a conscious warrior, right? You, you know, your brand is based on the warrior. And I think it's partially because, you know, there's a lot of warrior energy in the world, but we need to learn how to relate to that energy because 
it, it's not just like you're in the warrior or you're not, you can actually be in the warrior, but you're, you're, you know, the warrior has a sword or a gun, a rifle. Right. And he's like, he's a trained killer and the warrior can point that sword at other people and use it on them in a bad way. Right. That's the sadist. That's the guy who wants to hurt other people. So you have a lot of fire in yourself. The element of the, of the warrior is fire. You've got lots of fire energy. And if you don't use that, right, you're going to point that at other people. You're going to hurt them. You're going to burn them. Right. And I think everybody has experiences where their, their energy just boiled over and they, they burnt someone else. They hurt someone. There's another way that the warrior can sort of uh, express uh, in a bad way. And that's by pointing the sword at himself. And that's the self-destructive piece. Like, I'm just going to destroy my own life over and over because I'm not worth it. And because I don't deserve this and, you know, I have this pain, so I'm going to, you know, cutting yourself. That's, that's, that's actual masochistic physical stuff. But we also do that in a lot of other ways. We cut ourselves, we sabotage ourselves. And so, you know, for the men who can relate to either sides of those, there's something more. There is a way to relate to your warrior that is uh, in integrity and honorable and isn't overdoing it all the time and isn't overtraining and isn't hurting other people while you're training. You know, it's like, it's, it's the, the conscious warrior has the sword sheathed at his side and he's a deadly guy, but he's not killing people left, right, and center. He'll kill whoever needs to be killed in front of him, or he'll defend himself when, when needed. But for the most part, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's deadly, but he's not walking around hurting other people. So, so there's that piece. And then there's also like learning how to relate to the lover in you, you know, and we need some, in many ways, we need to give that some energy because the lover in our society is again, shadow expressed. There's a lot of hidden porn uh, stuff and sex life is hidden and it's abusive. And, you know, like I can't tell you how much porn I've seen where it's like, it, it's abusive. <laughs> Uh, and then the other side of the lover, if your lover is totally shut off is the dissociated, disconnected, uh, numb lover, where you just don't feel anything. So the lover is responsible for all of your feeling and, and the way that you express in the world. So if you're totally numb, your lover is just switched right off. It's dimmed. Uh, but if you're addicted to porn, it's like it's ramped up and it's out of control. It's, it's a runaway train. And so again, there is a way to bring a different way of relating to the lover, a balanced way to just to really allow that creativity and joy to flow through you in a way that it's not hurting you and it's not hurting anyone else. And so, you know, we all need to learn how to balance all four of these things and we need help from other people. We need help from, from, uh, groups, from workshops, from coaches, from counselors, from men who we look up to, and, and women who we admire uh, that have these qualities and that can sort of like download some of that into us. Uh, and so I can't even, oh, I remember your question. Yeah. So I think I've answered it is, 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 you know, we need to, we need to acknowledge like when we're overdoing it and when we're, when we might be hurting ourselves, you know, even Olympians overtrain and they hurt themselves. You know, if you want a gold medal, go for it. 
but even the best of the best know when to take a day off. Right. And yeah, I mean, you brought up David Goggins It's like zero days off and I, yeah, I don't fully get that. I don't think most people can operate at that level. And I think there's a lot of young guys that see things like that. And they just, they're just like, wow, I'll never get there. You know, <laughs> they just, they don't even start. And so, um, I would say like, listen, set your goals a little more achievable in your life. And when you achieve those set new goals, but you know, move forward have gather courage and move forward in your life. And that, I think that's what Goggins is saying. A lot of the times anyways, is like, are you afraid? You know, are you, you know, are you cowering in fear and, um, uh, self-doubt gather courage and move forward. That's the way of the warrior. Right. And that's, that's how we all need to be in this life. You know, Jordan Peterson talks about this all the time. Life is suffering. Life is difficult. There's always challenges. And without them, it would be boring. And so what challenge can you pick up? What load can you bear in your life that's actually going to make your life sweeter as a result of that? And so um, it doesn't have to be an ultra marathon. That <laughs> doesn't have to be your first goal, uh, but it should be something, something that's going to get you that one step towards the man that you actually want to be. Yes, brilliant, my man. And the reason I brought up Goggins is because uh, I know a lot about him and I know that he does come from a mm -hmm. extremely traumatic background, uh, childhood, uh, extreme. I've, I've read his book, I've met him, I've, I've heard his story in person. And yeah, a lot of guys out there are comparing their lives to where he's at right now, not understanding the, the full extent of, of his pain and, and trauma and struggles from the past. And again, that's where I'm a little bit critical of his message in terms of uh, channeling his pain into, into the training, into the working out. And a lot of guys taking that on board. And as I said, I would have taken it on board and channel that pain into, into my training. And man, I, yeah, I definitely um, broke myself uh, when I was uh, when I was training, especially the powerlifting, the CrossFit. Like I went all out on every single session, seven days a week, and it's just something I would. I'm helping guys be, become aware of. Uh, I work with a lot of guys who come from a background of alcohol addiction, gambling addiction, and although they've gone through the process of therapy or rehab, there's still that there still seems to be that addictive nature where it's all in on the training, you know, not taking days off or beating themselves up when they yeah. miss a day. Uh, so there's a lot of that still going on. And for me, yeah, okay, you're challenging your pain or you're doing something productive in your life that's helping you get into better shape and perhaps improving your mind. But there's still a lot of chaos there and you don't seem to be at peace. And yeah because you haven't made peace with the, with the past, you haven't made peace with the trauma. So I'm very quick to, to highlight that to the guys and, and encourage them to ask some questions of, of, of that approach. And, um, yeah, yeah. so that's the problem, right? The, the problem is that there's, there's chaos. The problem is that you're beating yourself up, you know, and this is why a men's group or a coach is so useful because you can have a guy tell you like, yeah, you know, like I missed my training this week. And I was like, I'm super upset at myself because I was super upset. Like I did this, I snapped on my partner and, 
And then we had a fight and, and I actually got in a fight with a guy on the street, maybe, you know, and, and it's like, man, the fact that you're shit kicking yourself all day long, that's your problem. You know, it's not that you didn't train well enough. It's that you treat yourself like none of us would treat you, you know, you're, you're your worst enemy. And that's the part of you that needs, needs space. You know, you need, you need to dig into that and learn to bring some compassion to yourself, you know, sit with a therapist and, and open your heart a little bit, you know, contact the lover and direct, direct, direct the lover inwards in a good way, you know, bring the lover through like, Oh, allow yourself to feel something. And when you're being self-critical, learn to sort of step back and go like, Oh, look at this. Like I'm shit kicking myself. Like I'm really mean to myself sometimes like, ouch, you know, and just feel that, like feel that sort of dissonance. And I don't think uh, most men don't stop to do that. They don't stop to do that until another man says like, Hey, dude, what are you doing? You know, you're being like really mean to yourself and it's not helping you in your life. Like I, I wouldn't treat you that way. Like, why are you treating you that way? And then the, the lights start to switch on in a guy, you know, and it, cause, cause we learn some of what we can take from Goggins is that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I really, really hear you on that. And I think um, men, especially in their teens and twenties, they will model other men that they see and they'll just like take on their thing. They're just trying it on like a pair of clothes. They don't realize that they're really trying it on. But um, I think the essence of really becoming a mature man is learning to really be yourself. And so like, look at Goggins love him. Like I, I follow him and my guy, we send videos to each other of him just running in the desert, just like talking at the camera. And we're like, look at this guy. But then I come back to like, okay, that's inspirational. I might go work out now, but I'm going to be me. And I'm going to check in with my body and see what my body needs today. And I'm going to just work with that limit. I'm not going to try to be David Goggins. I need to try to be Ben Goreski. And guys forget that. They're like, well, I don't know who Ben Goreski is. <laughs> like, well, you need to you need to find that. That's your, that's your journey. You're not going to find it by trying to be other people all the time. You know, you need to learn to tune in. Like, what do you really want? What's important to you? What's your code for living? David has his code for living. It, it's not going to be the same as yours. You know, what is your wound and how can you turn that into a gift in the world? Everybody's unique and, and has a unique thing to bring in the world. And, uh, yeah, I think it's important. Uh, Gar Gary, uh, Gary V. Yeah, Gary. Yeah. Gary, Gary V is all about this. He's like, don't try to be me. You need to be you. And I, I love it when he talks that way because, uh, you know, in, in media culture, like we can just like, we're, we get so used to just like soaking in what's in front of us and like, and just downloading things. We forget to express what, what our essence is. And that's what you're here to do. <laughs> you're here to express your essence. You're not here to mirror or copy someone else in this life. And just, you know, it's not going to be fulfilling for you. Uh, so, you know, yeah, that's huge. Again, yeah. Quiet space, space alone to really understand what it is that you want to do now or what you want to say to a person or how you want to express in the world, quieting down your world a little bit from time to time so that you can really tune into that is it's key. Yeah, that's massive. It's yeah, it's all down to 
as you said, mirroring someone else or um, the comparison trap, as we all know, and it's just so fucking easy to fall into that trap these days. And you you open your Instagram Instagram uh, feed and you're immediately looking at somebody else's life and uh, they're perhaps looking more muscular got they're they're shredded got the hot girlfriend got the fancy car the yacht or or on holidays and you think to yourself straight away oh fuck my life is my life is pathetic as you sit in your in your sitting room with your uh with your tv all alone and again you know i i would ask the question well instead of uh, allowing that to drag you down is there something that that guy has that you can perhaps manifest in your own life or, or work towards in your own life and you could look at these people as uh, as motivation or inspiration instead of letting it drag you down and it's all about perspective i feel in, in that situation and again taking a step back and understanding that you know what i always say to these guys is look that guy you see on instagram has got shit to deal with as well he's, he's had his problems or has his problems he's he's not uh, communicating that to you he's only showing you the good side of his life and uh you know there's a everyone has a story everyone has everyone has their problems um it's just that their problems are perhaps different to yours so um yeah and again there's something that you have in your life that he doesn't have so it's unfair to put these people on on pedestals just because of uh, an image you see or video you see of their of their life over a a five second 30 second period you know what's happening the rest of 24 hour days and uh Yeah, it's um, yeah. It, it, again, it's a trap that I feel a lot of young guys fall into, and uh, something to be aware of. But um, yeah, and and just yeah. on the topic of of young guys or kids or perhaps even parents that are listening to us at the moment, what are some of the the red flags, perhaps as a parent or a father, some of the red flags you may you may see in your child or children? or your teenage son or daughter some what are some of the red flags that could indicate that they may have some trauma or pain that they're not processing or dealing with um in their lives at the moment and obviously if you can come in at that point you could perhaps deter them from uh from a road of addiction or or uh certainly a a road of much difficulty and and struggle in in the future around mm-hmm. around that pain so you know for a for a child or a, a teenager you know you're unlikely to see them you know at a, i'm talking about a young teenager or you know maybe a seven to 12 year old kid they're not going to be drinking they're not going to be doing drugs um maybe not the video games so yeah, is there something else that could highlight an issue or a struggle or pain that they may be dealing with Yep. Yeah. I think what it shows up as before, um, kids are of drug using age is, uh, hyperactivity, um, or door dissociation in some cases, you know, you have kids who are just like totally withdrawn, super yeah, shy, show up as super shy and, you know, not really self-expressed. Like they're almost like they're hiding, you know, that's, that's a trauma response. And then, you know, what happens in my case is, is I was just a totally hyperactive kid and always wanted attention, um, was always blurting stuff out and causing trouble in in class, getting kicked out of class, getting put into special classes and, um, eventually medicated 
right? That's what we do with, with young guys uh, these days when they're a problem is we're, we send them to the doctor. The doctor's like, oh, he's got a hyperactive disorder. We're going to give him amphetamines and we're going to feed them amphetamines and that's going to calm them down uh, and that'll solve the problem. And uh, I, my, what was going on for me was like I was searching for connection. I, I felt disconnected from my family, from myself. And I was looking for emotional connection and social connection as my, you know, to, to try to hold on to. And I had no idea how to do that. And so I was just causing lots of trouble. And, you know, so yeah, a traumatized person or a wounded person uh, who needs help can show up in a lot of ways. And a lot of what we do in our societies, we make it a problem. And then we, we take it to a doctor to fix it. And um, that usually doesn't fix it. So um, parents need to understand that connection and learning how to connect emotionally is the number one thing that they can do. You know, as a teenager, how that, how that starts to manifest is that the teenager just totally withdraws from the parent, zero honesty. You know, the parents like my, my kid's 16. I have no idea what he's doing with his life. I, I don't even know who his friends are. I don't know what drugs he's doing. I found some things, but I don't know. And he doesn't tell me anything and you've completely lost connection with your kid, you know, and at some level your kid needs to, to move away from you at that age. Um, hopefully towards something that you've established for them, uh, that you've brought into their life, an uncle or grandparent or, or, uh, you know, martial arts sensei, uh, somebody who is then going to help guide him into adulthood. But I think a lot of parents outsource their parenting. Uh, cause they don't have time. They don't have an energy and you know, they don't know how, and, um, we pay the price of that, uh, as we, as they slowly lose connection, uh, with their kids. Um, there's a book called hold on to your kids, uh, which I think is probably the, the book that every parent should read, um, that, that talks about this stuff, attachment and how, Broken attachment is kind of like the cause of most issues um, that, that people are facing with their kids and learning how to reattach and, and to have like a, a safe emotional landscape between you and your kid is the best way to sort of walk them into their teen years. And then even at, I think at its very best, like when a kid's like 16, 17, 18, like they need other adults to help really usher them into adulthood. You know, I think that's always how it's been, um, tribally, um, as we've evolved as humans is, is like, you know, if you're a boy, the men eventually come, they take you away from your mother. They take you away from the tribe and they put you through a series of challenges. And as much as you hate it and you think you're going to die when you, when you come back the other side and they welcome you, you're like, Oh, this feels like really good. And for the, when the women have, you know, nature, doses them with their own initiation of childbirth and, and becoming a mother and, and, you know, you know, earlier than that, you know, having their first period and, uh, women have their own way of initiating each other. So, um, you know, we don't do that anymore, but I, you know, if I could choose for that to be the way, uh, that would be it. I'd love to see, um, groups of men taking young men and helping them. Uh, understand what man's world is about and how you function in man's world and what are the consequences of not showing up 
for your responsibilities and, and that kind of stuff. And that is happening in some places. There's, there's people that do initiation rights. And uh, here in, in my area, we do this thing called the young men's adventure weekend where like 50 guys take out 50 young men into the woods for like two and a half days. And we have fire and ritual and all this crazy stuff. And it's awesome, man. But I, I wish that was like every weekend, every summer, everywhere. <laughs> Cause that's, what's needed, you know? Yeah. But there's, uh, yeah, I actually listened to your podcast. I don't know who it was. You, you can tell me, but about Brad, the, Brad Leslie, Brad Leslie, yes, about the whole initiation process of of boys becoming men. So that's certainly worth a listen as well. And yeah, there's uh, obviously the parent has to the role of a parent is is to for me, you know, is is to set the the child up uh, for adulthood and to guide them you know, in the right direction and, and give them the tools they need to go out into the world on their own. But yeah, there's uh there's holding on to your child, but then there's letting go of your, of your, uh, man child yeah. perhaps <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and knowing when to let go. And I think that, uh, causes a lot of issues as well, especially mothers perhaps. And there's the whole empty nest syndrome as well that, um, you know, that that's quite traumatic for mums, especially perhaps, uh, yeah. fathers too may go through it. Where the where the child or the the young man leaves the home, and you need to uh, uh, somewhat you know that that attachment needs to become detached to a certain aspect, and yeah, otherwise you are holding holding your child back. You're, you're certainly not, um, uh, yeah, you're holding back towards becoming the man, and uh, that as much as the as the child needs to needs to go through that process on their own the, the, the parent the father the mother has to go through that process as well in terms of knowing when to let go um i think that's yeah. important to know yeah yeah and so in a in a sense like we're we are not holding on enough and then when it's time to let go we don't want to let go you know so we're kind of imbalanced in both of those and you know, your parents' generation, my parents' generation were taught that like, you, you, you have to like have a separate room for the baby. As soon as the baby's born, create a separate room with the crib. You put the baby over there in the dark and you just shut the lights off and you leave the baby, you know? Um, and you know, maybe you come into breastfeed and then, but gradually you just like cry it out. Just let them cry it out. They need to learn how to like be in the dark alone in there. And, uh, now we realize that that's a really bad way to uh, start someone's life out is by just like putting them in a room and shutting the dark, shutting shut the lights off. And that was going on for generations. You know, like these, this is what doctors were telling parents to do. Like, this is the right thing to do. That's how you raise a kid. You teach them to be an adult from the beginning. And uh, what we know now is that th the more attachment that you give to a child early on, the more secure they end up as adults. So if early on in a child's life, you withdraw love and you, 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 you make love scarce, you know, like just intermittently, like, nope, no love for you for a while. No reason either. I'm just going to remove it from you. That in itself is a little micro trauma that the more you do that, the more predisposed your child is to addiction and, and all kinds of other mental illnesses as they're, as they grow older. Whereas if you give the child all of the attachment that it needs early on, just constant attachment. Like, Oh, you want more? Yeah. 
here's more, you know, like love is abundant here in this house. Like there's, you're never going to run out of love. You know, the old story is like, oh, if you do that, like the child's just going to be dependent on you, like on the teat for its entire life. No, there's nature has a way where the child naturally differentiates from its parents. And so just give them all the love that you can give them initially and slowly, you know, watch them and encourage them to be independent in the world. And when they go out into the world and they get hurt and they come running back, welcome them back and give them a kiss and tell them they did a great job and, and that they should continue to explore when they're ready. And off they go, you know, that's how, that's what we've learned is that like, that's the way to raise kids, you know? And so it's like, that's only happened recently. So our generation is the one where, where we're like, okay, here's what attachment parenting looks like. And I'm, I'm just learning this stuff too. Um, and so it's better to just be overly attached in the beginning and, and then slowly release naturally so that when the kid's 16, like, you know, you've done everything you can you, and, and they want to differentiate, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brilliant, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's why we're all so fucked up in this generation. Then, so is it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And I mean, shit, dude, we're all carrying uh, trauma from trauma from trauma. It's like my, uh, almost all of our grandparents were in a war. Yeah. You know, so we're only two generations down from, from, uh, from that. And so, you know, we carry that too, you know, uh, Mark Wolen, who I had on my show talks about inherited family trauma and how like, actually you can pass your traumatic stuff down uh, through your DNA, but also like psychically through your family line. And so a grandson can have this like weird, irrational fear of dying in an airplane. Let's say like, I just always feel like I can't fly on planes. Like there's just something that comes up for me. It's not rational. I have no idea. And then you start poking around and asking him questions and like, Oh, well, what about uh, grandfather Joe here? Like, you know, what's his story? He's like, well, actually grandfather Joe died um, in the war. Like, what was he doing in the war? He's a pilot. Uh, his plane went down. Oh, I see. You know, like weird connections like that happen all the time. And so we, we actually can carry uh, all this like crazy shit that happened in the world in, in uh, these two world wars a hundred years ago. Uh, we can, we can still be carrying that. And so there's ways to clear that and to feel those feelings and to let that stuff come up. And again, it's, it's through searching and giving yourself alone time and, and like allowing the stuff to come through you. But yeah, I really do feel like it's our generation is like the first one that has access to all of the tools that we need for healing. We just need to use them. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it's not handed to us. We have to engage this stuff and do the hard work, mm-hmm. but uh, for the first time, like we've got it all, we're, we're ready to go. And uh, so it's on us to, to, to do that work. Yeah. I think there's something there. I mean, it's, it's, they often say that this generation is perhaps the most anxious, uh, mentally unstable generation there is. I'm, I'm talking about perhaps the 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 kids and the teenagers that are uh, that generation. But at the same time, we've never had so many tools and strategies to help them with those issues as well. At the same time, so it's a bit of a bit of a catch twenty two um, where you're having more problems, but you're also having more solutions or or more tools to deal with the problems and. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's it's a very uh, important message to give parents or fathers or soon to be fathers out there or soon to be parents that you know you, you need to 
get your own fuck ups sorted before you uh, have your kids and raise a family because you're only going to transfer that over to your kids. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I wish more, more men and parents would do that uh, and just look at themselves before they start. Uh, yeah. Before they start uh, focusing on, on, on family and, and raising kids. Yeah, me too. I, my wife and I, have, I'm 37. We've waited to have kids, but um, yeah, we just want to do it right, man. Just like raising a kid's the, the biggest job a person could ever uh, do, you know? So um, we take that responsibility seriously. And, um, you know, our generation in a way is like afforded the privilege of being able to sort of make that decision and go like, Oh, let's just like, wait till we're really ready. Like, let's do more therapy. And like, <laughs> it's like, our, I think my parents' generation are just like, this is laughable. Like the, you know, the choices that you guys have that you can make, but um, yeah, it's, it's how you change the world, man. You just take your, take your job on the planet seriously and um, you know, try to make the world a better place. So yeah, thank but- you for doing that, man. Thank you for doing your work and, and for, um, you know, trying to help men. And I'm, I know you help men, uh, work through their shit and, and become more integrated and grounded in their lives and, and, uh, see their blind spots, man. Like we need more people like you. Likewise, my man, I really admire your work. And, uh, so for everyone listening, where can they find you? Where can they get in touch? Let us know. So my website's evolvingman.com and, uh, on their, You've got access to my coaching, uh, my couples course that I created with my wife um, for, for couples. It's called Creating Conscious Love. It's like a video course. Um, people have been really happy with that. Uh, we've also got, I, I created a men's course, Introduction to Men's Work, um, called The Integrated Man. So that's on my site as well. You'll, you'll find that. Um, and uh, my podcast is The Evolving Man Podcast. And then the men's group that I'm affiliated with is, is the Samurai Brotherhood. It's always growing. The, the, the men's movement is growing. Um, those guys are samuraibrotherhood.com and both on Instagram, Evolving Man and at Samurai Brotherhood on Instagram. That's mostly where I share my stuff. So um, check it out. And I'm, I'm just stoked to be in service and, and to connect with your audience once again. Thanks, man. Likewise, my man. Thank you so much for your time and for your value. Much appreciated. Thank you, Ben.